Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 12, issue 585, and today we are going to be covering Amnesia, a machine for pigs. Joining me, Leah Haydu, in issue 585 are Sean Fletcher. Hello. John Salmon. Hello, hello. And Chris Worthington. Hello. Hello to all. So, what is Amnesia, a machine for pigs? So, some of you may remember, longtime fans may remember that we did cover Amnesia the Dark Descent, the predecessor to Amnesia, a machine for pigs, all the way back in issue 245 in October of 2016. I was on that show, and I think I'm the only one who was on that show who is still a regular part of uh, <laughs> Kane and Rinse. So, um, oh, for real? I I think I Josh hosted and he's dead now yeah, or Josh whatever. Isn't dead. Um, <laughs> no, he's he Josh isn't dead, but you know he's 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 no longer he's actively dead uh, to doing us. the show. He's been he, yeah, he's dead to me. Fed into a machine and turned a into a pig man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually should have double checked that because I'm not sure who else was on on the show, but I, I believe it was uh, people who are not. Um, we may have actually had a guest on that one. I, I don't recall. Um, yeah, little ways, little ways back, uh, October 2016. That's that's a long time. I I I I feel older than maybe I already did, which was pretty old anyway. But you know, we'll we'll keep going from there. Um, so the background to Amnesia, a machine for pigs, is a little bit different than the original game. So this was developed by the Chinese Room, who did not, in fact, develop the original game. Uh, you may know the Chinese Room from Dear Esther and Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, both of which we have covered on the show previously. Uh, the publisher remains Frictional Games, and the writer is uh, Dan Pinchbeck with the composer Jessica Curry, who, again, kind of a, a Kane and Rinse favorite around here. Uh, when uh, Sound of Play was actively recording, there was quite a bit of, of uh, Jessica Curry's music featured on mm. there. Uh, and I, we'll, we'll talk some more about the soundtrack as well as just kind of the sound design in general. But uh, I really felt like that was one of the strong points of this game. So this was originally intended as maybe not a full sequel, but more of a mod or an expansion, which is potentially one of the reasons why it is a little bit shorter than the original Amnesia. Um, how long to beat has it at about four hours? And I don't think that's quite right. Uh, did, did you guys find that it was kind of short? Well, well, first of all, I guess I should ask, have you all played the original Amnesia, The Dark Descent? I've not played the original, but yeah. uh, it definitely wasn't four hours for me. I, I looked it up and thought four hours, that seems doable in a couple of sessions, but I had a couple of pinch points where uh, I was stuck for a little yeah. while, so that blew out the time of that four hours uh, quite considerably, actually, for me. Yeah, yeah, I have played Dark Descent, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm normally the first to, to berate on how long to beat, and they're very, very optimistic oh, playtimes. I, I think you have some competition for that. There's a, <laughs> definitely a few of us on the podcast who just swear at those guys. But for once, I actually rang true for me. I, I, oh. it, there's no in-game clock, is there? But I reckon it took between, I reckon around five hours for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I'm probably about the same. I was expecting it to be more, but I have also, I have previously played this and I don't remember, you know, ridiculous amounts about the puzzles and stuff from playing it previously, but I think it probably guided me a little bit and maybe maybe made this slightly faster than it would have been on a first playthrough. But yeah, I must have been looking at probably about five hours as well. So it's not it normally the how long to beat thing. Basically, for me, like the longer the game is, the worse it gets. So 
I sort of tend to add between about 30 and 50% on and for very long things. I mean, we, I wasn't actually on the show, but the, um, there was kind of a constant problem that the Final Fantasy Tactics, how long to beat <laughs> yeah, was something like that, 36 <laughs> hours. And I was already at like 50 and I'd only played about half of the game. So yeah, I don't trust <laughs> anything on how long to beat at all. But yeah, for I once. mean, with something that's crowdsourced like that, I can I can see how you know it could be wildly skewed in one direction or the other. But um, you know, you'd think with something that has at least a decent number of of playthroughs logged on it, it would be closer to to what a typical first playthrough might might be. But yeah, I, th- I want to say I maybe spent I, six to eight. Maybe it was it was a little bit longer um, because I was poking my face into every corner that I could get to when I wasn't being brutalized by a large, angry pig man. Um, just to kind of see, because, well, I had formed that habit, I think, with The Dark Descent, and it, it's, well, well, we'll get into it a little bit more, but uh, it's not really necessary in this game. So, it, but, it's really so. interesting that, though, Leah, what you said, and I look forward to, mm-hmm. to come back to this when we talk about the gameplay, but I think a lot of a lot of the discourse around this game, I think, are it is down to people approaching it like it was yeah. or a sequel to to Dark Descent, mm. which it is in some ways, but in other ways, it it very much isn't. Um, I, I would like to point uh, both the people on the panel as well as uh, anybody listening. There is a really fascinating postmortem uh, on GameDeveloper dot com for Amnesia: Machine for Pigs. Excuse me, and um, it's it goes over a lot of both kind of how it went wrong, as well as a lot of the things that it does right, and kind of where those distinctions are from the point of view of the developers, as well as kind of how the the, the typical player might see these things. Like, there's a bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes, um, and I, I pulled a, a quote from that actual um, postmortem here. Uh, because it uh, was started development uh, in 2011 uh, with an original intent to release it around Halloween of 2012, but it continuously got delayed. It got delayed a couple of times uh, and ended up releasing in late 2013, or I guess mid to late 2013. And um, the the Chinese room, who is, as I said, the developer, uh, they were given a lot of freedom by Frictional Games, uh, but Frictional wasn't really used at this point to... Uh, approaching these um, these projects from a production level rather than a development level. So it, it between that and the fact that the Chinese room has a different style overall to what Frictional had traditionally kind of been throwing out there kind of led to some, some weird things. Uh, and this is from that postmortem. Um, While Frictional Games provided the Chinese room with a high degree of creative freedom in terms of of the game's content and design direction, the, the deliverable milestones requested were much less flexible. The first deliverable uh, frictional requested was a near-complete version of the game's seller level, the third level in the final game, which would demonstrate all of the major components of the game, such as puzzle design, enemy encounters, art direction, the infection system, which we'll talk a little bit about later, and narrative delivery. Meeting this first milestone prevented the Chinese room from gray boxing the full game at this critical early stage. Now, from what I understand, this is not part of the uh, the, the um, quote, but gray boxing is basically kind of just blocking or like laying out the game in um, kind of non-detailed levels, just kind of a rough draft 
um, and they did not have this opportunity. <clears throat> so, moreover, because the entire game had not been greyboxed and considered as one complete entity, the version of Seller that was created for the first deliverable was eventually changed into an almost entirely different level, thus rendering much of the time and effort spent on the first version wasted. So it kind of sounds to me like... It just was not very organized in a way that made sense for the development process, which kind of threw some wrenches in from both sides, right? Like the, the producers weren't necessarily getting what they thought they needed, but Chinese Room was not really getting the results that they probably wanted at that point either. Uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think what you've got is you've got frictional games who are pr used to developing their own stuff, not really used to overseeing a third party developing something which they're going to put out or acting in a production role. And then you've got the Chinese room, which now to, to my knowledge with the, with Dear Esther, and I think by this point they'd released Dear Esther and they'd released Call Sokovia. I think they yes. had been used to working completely independently as an independent studio. So I just wonder how much of it was a bit of a kind of clash between someone who was saying, well, this is the way we do it. And someone saying, well, this is the way we do it. And can you kind of meet in the middle somewhere? And perhaps it didn't quite work. Yeah, that's that's the impression that I got. And it didn't seem like there was bad blood there. Like, I, I don't think it was like a... a, a a bad type of clash between no. the two of them. I think it was more just a things not quite fitting in a way that really made sense for everybody involved. So I kind of skimmed over what exactly Amnesia Machine for Pigs is, uh, and I, I want to read my one-sentence summary here, which uh, is that uh, Amnesia, a machine for pigs, is an exploration-focused first-person horror mystery with puzzle and survival elements. <laughs> Which says absolutely nothing. Like that's that's <laughs> a lot of different games, um, and I think I, I, spoilers, I guess. But I I do like Amnesia Machine for Pigs, but I I think that it does have maybe a bit of an identity problem. So um, getting getting that breadth of things kind of squished into one game that's not even very long might have actually been um, something that that caused. A couple of issues, but uh, yeah, we'll it's also kind talk of talk about that as we go. Notable yeah. that compared to the Dark Descent, you know, there's there is a lot that feels extremely similar. I mean, you can kind of tell in some ways that this is a mod. Things like the interface and stuff feel very similar. Even like the little pop up prompts on the screen and stuff for opening doors and the the way that like the file system works and even the saving and stuff. Uh, maybe it's because I've also played both of these both times through the collection, which kind of conglomerates everything together. But it, it certainly feels like it kind of is running in the same way. But compared to The Dark Descent, aside from what we mentioned about the like the length of the game, there is like it's it's almost got elements removed. I mean, it completely removes like the sanity meter and any kind of collectible like tortures or um, you know, in the the first game you you found tinder boxes to light um uh like candles and things in the environment and they were kind of a collectible and you had to balance them this game's just like ah just have a flashlight it's fine it doesn't even have a battery meter or anything so it does kind of feel slightly stripped back even from the first one so i imagine that your leah your like one word sentence of what the original dark descent would be basically this but with like a couple of extra words added in i, I mean more or less yeah i i i saw a machine for pigs described somewhere it might have, it might have been just wikipedia describing it as survival horror and i don't i don't think i agree with that really 
it it just it doesn't have it, i mean it is i the term walking simulator gets a lot of flack but i mean that's probably about the most accurate if you wanted to put it into a genre which again i i have questions about the um the utility of slotting everything into a genre but and this is why, because games like this are, you know, it might lean towards one thing in tone, but then completely something else in uh, in actual gameplay. Yeah, I would describe it as a narrative-driven adventure game. If, if I was to, if I've had a yeah. friend who said, look, you know, what what kind of game is that? I would say it's a narrative-driven adventure game with some light puzzle elements. You know, that's, it's, I think it's, that's It's spooky. It it's is. Def- it's, it's a horror game, but I don't, I just don't, and I mean, you do survive, or you try to survive in it, but... Uh, don't think that makes it a survival horror. No, it's not, it, not quite the same thing. It is funny, isn't it? Because it, it, you could, you know, I, I listened to the Dark Descent episode recently, and you guys yeah, spent a little bit of time like this talking about what kind of game it was. And I think, I think that most definitely is a survival horror game in my book. The the Dark Descent was, but this, I think, what you said later about this having an identity crisis is spot on. I think again, it feels like a bit of a meeting of creative people trying to find a a happy medium, mm-hmm. and 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 we're going to unpack this, but just perhaps it fell between the stools a little bit. So uh, there have been multiple versions of the game put out so far. The original was September 10th of 2013 for PC and Mac. Uh, The PS4, Xbox One, and Switch versions, all of which uh, came out as the Amnesia Collection. So that includes Amnesia The Dark Descent, uh, Amnesia A Machine for Pigs, and Amnesia Justine, which is kind of a, um, it, it doesn't connect them together. It's more, uh, if, if anything, it's more of a, um, uh, sort of sequel to, to, uh, Dark Descent, but it, it's not directly really connected with either of them. Bit of a guy, uh, But anyway, it's it? included in, well, I'm sorry? Bit of a guy, Dan, I think, to, uh, Dark Descent, yeah. isn't it? For sure. I, I mean, the, the one thing that they all share is that there is amnesia involved. Yes. <laughs> lives, lives up to the title, for sure. Um, and then, uh, but anyway, the yeah, the collection was released first on PS4, uh, November 22nd of 2016. Then for Xbox One, September 28th of 2018. And a year, about a year later for the Switch, September 12th, 2019. Uh, I'm curious as to how this plays on the Switch. Mm. I I imagine it's probably fine i mean because it, it should it's be an older pc game so I, I don't i can't think that like the technical requirements would really be all that huge um but yeah just just curious i'm always curious about how things run on the switch it's just a hue isn't it on that on that screen you know whether because we're going to get into this when we talk about the visuals but it is a very dark game it's so, so dark <laughs> so I, I just wonder how that translates particularly to the older model switch you know when the, when mm. the blacks can be a little bit washed out on Playing in handheld, anyway. I imagine it looks yeah, better on the on the OLED, but I think a game like this, I, I'm not sure if you guys are the same, but uh, a game that's kind of atmospheric and and creepy and scary like this, I think it actually loses a little bit in in handheld. Just something about the smaller screen, mm. and uh, I I just feel a bit more immersed when I'm kind of you know sitting in a dark room with headphones on uh, and kind of with a big yeah. screen. That's the way that I yeah. prefer to play these type of games rather than than on the Switch. Yeah, yeah. feels a bit safe on the Switch. You want that TV that's <laughs> taking up like half of your field of vision rather than a little square in front of you that you can just kind of squint and, and not look at it when something, you know, terrifying is happening. Yeah, you can turn it over and put it on your lap. Uh-huh. <laughs> Reviews were typically middling to good. Um, 
between 70 and 80 was most of what I saw. 72 from Metacritic, 83 from IGN, uh, 80 from both GameSpot and Polygon, and a 70 from both Destructoid and Eurogamer. Those are all from the original uh, 2013 PC release. And sales, as always, for games that are digital only, a little bit weird and iffy. Um, the Steam charts show it to be at about 100,000 units, but that's only for the original game. Mm -hmm. It's not including the Amnesia Collection, which I I don't even know how that counts with regard to sales. Like, I mean, I, I would assume that it's just it, it the collection is the sales for that particular game. So, um, but anyway, it, it seems to have sold reasonably well. Uh, Frictional uh, did come out and say, like, the, the sales for the collection did well enough for them to continue their work on other projects. So um, definitely not a failure. How much, of a how much of a success is a little bit hard to say. But uh, we've been kind of skirting around our histories and, and dipping in and out of them. But I'd like to uh, get a little bit clearer picture of where we are on these games. Uh, and I say these games because I, I'm I'm thinking that despite the fact this is not a direct sequel, there's there's just no way really to avoid at least some comparisons to The Dark Descent, yeah. uh, as you probably have guessed from what we've talked about already. But this is not a Dark Descent show. We do have one of those. Um, and as we'll see, not all of us have actually even played The Dark Descent. Uh, but Chris, let's start with you. Uh, what is your history with Amnesia, A Machine for Pigs, and or any of the other Amnesia games that are out there? Very new, actually, to this. So... I'm a big fan of survival horror games, always have been, going right back to Alone in the Dark, Resident Evil, back in the 90s. I've always wanted to play Amnesia. I've still never played Soma, which I know is really bad, and I really should, because I think I'd love it. But I've always really wanted to okay. play... We'll get there. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> the frictional stuff has always really intrigued me. I've, I've kind of viewed them from afar and thought, I'll get to those one day, and I never did, until I was looking at the Kane and Rince wonderful long list and and sold them and I thought, oh I'll I'd I'd really fancy playing those. So I stuck my name I stuck I stuck I stuck myself down as a I would love to give it a go and lo and behold Machine for Pigs popped up. But being the kind of person I am, I couldn't just go in straight at a machine for pigs, although I think as Sean might be about to say, nothing wrong with that if you do. It's just the way I'm wired, I'm afraid. So I had to go right back to the start. I even went back and played the Penumbra games. Oh, oh cool. Although I say I played the Penumbra games, I played I played the first one and I thought it was all right. And then I got midway through the second one and got to a game-breaking bug where it auto-saved me right before I was about to get clobbered by some big spider. So I I just didn't couldn't I just didn't want to start it again. So I left it there. Went on to went on to Doctor Sent, which I played through the collection on Game Pass, and I think it is still on Game Pass as of September twenty twenty three when when we're recording. Uh, so I played Dark Sense probably about three months ago, had a little break, and then went back to Machine for Pigs. So all very recent, played on console with a controller, not keyboard and mouse, and uh, on the uh, wonderful uh, Microsoft Game Pass. Lovely. Uh, Sean, how about you? You are, I think, the only one of us who has not played the Dark Descent, uh, but what's your history with Machine for Pigs? The Machine for Pigs, it's a, it's a very short history. I hadn't played the Dark Descent, and uh, like Chris, I'd always been really interested in the Amnesia games and, and wanted an excuse to play them. And um, I remember it being a big game for kind of streamers around the time and, uh, and, and you know, getting really getting really scared with their, with their crowd of people watching and being big in that kind of streaming community. So I'd seen a little bit of the game from there. 
And while I'd never played um, the Amnesia series, I do really love survival horror games. I'm a massive fan of the Resident Evil games. They hold a really, really special place for me, uh, as well as Silent Hill. And also a few more obscure games that I've played, things like Siren Blood Curse and Eternal Darkness and um, back on the GameCube. So when when this came up, uh, there was somebody else that was going to cover. I can't remember whether it was Brian or one of the other guys that had to um, had to duck out of this one. So I thought, look, it's a good excuse to to jump in and and play Amnesia. And I didn't. I had a few things on the go. I've also been travelling a lot for work, so I thought it's a relatively short game. You know how long to beat? It, it wasn't as short as I thought, but um, you know with the bit of travel and things that I had come up, I thought I could knock this over in a couple of weeks and have a little bit of time to kind of sit on my thoughts and, and, and think about it for a while. And I actually went, I thought this was a game that I could play on the Xbox and then while, while I was away I could play it uh, on PC, the PC kind of version of Game Pass as well, but it's only on the Xbox console Game Pass, it's not on PC Game Pass, so I had a couple of days shorter and a little fire that was lit underneath me to uh, to finish it off, but... I don't think that's a bad way to play this game, just a, a few kind of few sessions, and as mentioned, I played it kind of in the dark with headphones on just to really get the, just to kind of lift up the, the atmospheric, you know, scary parts for me. So I'm looking forward to talking about it today because there's still a few parts of the game that remain a little bit of a mystery to me. There's a couple of things that I, I tried to piece together and I've read a little bit uh, kind of offline and after I finish, but... I don't know if I've fully understood the story, so I'm hoping that uh, that you guys can help me to understand and fill in a few of those gaps for me. I hope so. I'm I'm I think I've got a pretty decent handle on the story of this one, which is a <laughs> uh, it's a, that's a thing for me because I don't always. So um, I think there's some bits we'll, that we'll are kind of left how... ambiguous purposely, but um, oh, yeah, there's oh, one oh, or sure. two things yeah. that I, I I'd love to kind of um, get your opinion on it, just because I I wasn't quite sure where I where I landed on on it on a few of the things, but yeah, we'll get onto that as we um, as we talk about the yeah. game. Is why we are here, <laughs> uh, John. How about you? Unsurprisingly, same as everybody else, I'm a really, really, really big horror fan. Um, particularly survival kind of horror. Um, I think my relationship with Frictional does go quite a long way back. Probably, maybe twelve to fifteen years ago, when I did manage to get hold of a collection of the Penumbra games, and I know that I've mentioned them on various other podcasts, and I'm certain that we will cover them one day. It's one of the things that always kind of tripped me up for my my pick for the year is trying to trying to figure out and I've got a few kind of things that I always fight between in my head and definitely doing at least one penumbra game is is kind of high on that that list for me so I'm sure we will talk about them um but they're they're kind of older and slightly janky and restricted to um to pcs and they're, they're slightly more difficult to I, I don't think they're difficult to get hold of I'm pretty sure you can just buy them on steam and yeah, play they're, them they're cheap as well John yeah, yeah they're, they're, you know the next you know couple of quid but it's it's kind of a shame that you know if with the um the way that frictional have have really become a bit of a mainstay horror um developer now that they haven't ended up doing some sort of re-release they're the kind of things that would be almost crying out for like a night dive uh remake although maybe they're slightly too new for something like night dive to be uh to be messing with them mm, i don't know but i don't maybe i mean anyway so that's um that's that but then uh so obviously the dark descent was released and i was quite familiar with the series or like quite familiar with frictional and i I remember buying it fairly close to the time i think it came out in about 2010 11 and i had it around that time i do remember starting to play it on my pc and i think i was 
I kind of remember sitting down playing it with a friend with like my laptop hooked into his computer and it was probably in the daytime and we were probably drinking as well and I mean obviously not like a even a good atmosphere to play it but I remember being so freaked out even fairly early on with the atmosphere that I just I just kind of put it down and thought nah this might be too much um but then in the in the years since then I think the the kind of the popularity of that genre of kind of run and hide and not really any any fighting back against the monsters has been taken kind of to the next level. I mean, I'm sure The Dark Descent was probably the game that that kicked it off. Um, but there have been so many like really stunningly good games since then. Yeah, I'll draw back to something like Alien Isolation, which I think made my my kind of appetite for that type of game like even more so. Um but with the actually with machine for pigs it took me quite a long time to get to it i don't know if i ever even bought it on the pc but once the collection was released on um playstation and xbox i picked it up on both of those consoles and you know being me and kind of picking things up and not playing them immediately kind of waiting <laughs> for the right time i think it took me until uh, some like halloween kind of a few years ago when I was looking for some sort of horror game that I hadn't played before to to give it a go, and I just decided, well, I've got this Amnesia collection on like two different consoles, and I've got the games on my PC. Uh, I think maybe it was also kind of um, had my hand twisted a little bit because there was like Rebirth at that point was coming out, um, so I was like, okay, well, everybody's talking about Amnesia again. Maybe that kind of twisted my arm, but also in the meantime. I'd played the other Chinese room games and I'd played Soma and I mean to kind of maybe spoil a bit of my like upcoming opinions I think both Soma and Everybody's Gone to the Rapture are probably two of my absolute favorites like those two games are both in some ways kind of pushing masterpiece level for me for like the way that I like to experience horror and the way that I like to experience kind of having a narrative delivered to me. So have all of that, you know, I just decided I need to sit down and play these, like all these amnesia games that are on this collection. Um, So it's been a couple of years or it's been like probably three years since I, I played either of the games, but so it's, it's like just been such a forefront of my mind since I played it. And yeah, having it come up for the show and doing a replay of it, which has mostly been in a couple of sessions and kind of race to the deadline to finish it this afternoon. Like, yeah, I, so I, I will definitely play this again. I've played through it twice now. And yeah, I give it a couple of years until my brain's rotted a little bit and I've forgotten and I need something spooky to play for another Halloween. But I think I'll be back at some point. Uh, well, as I mentioned, I was on the original, uh, Dark Descent recording and I had played the game before that. And I think I played it again specifically for the recording. Uh, and then I played it again because like Chris, I am one of those people who cannot just skip (laughs) games in a series. I have, I have to do all of them. It's like a sickness. I'm I'm still on, I'm still on, uh, Assassin's. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm still on Assassin's Creed 2, um, but, well, no, I guess I'm actually on what one of the Assassin's Creed 2 spinoffs. I don't remember where I am, but that's just an example. I I played uh, Dark Descent again, and, you know, I, I, I don't always remember the details in games like that, and also it had been at least since since the recording of that show since I'd played it. 
So, you know, a, a decent chunk of time to have forgotten a lot of the finer details at the very least. But, you know, I knew the overall, you know, there are still parts of that game that even when you know they're going to happen, they're still just skin crawling. So uh, it, it, it really still is, is up there for me. I had not, however, played A Machine for Pigs before I played it for this show. So I was one of those people, not who were like, oh, they ruined it, blah, blah, blah. But I, I was one of those people who was very excited to know that there was going to be a follow-up to Amnesia, The Dark Descent. And then when it came out and, like, initial impressions that I heard were not necessarily negative, but kind of, meh, you know, it's not really the same. It's not that scary. Uh, I don't know. Eh. Um, I, I kind of backburnered it, which I do with a lot of games, but of course I've probably owned a copy of it since 2013 and just didn't really get around to it until now. Um, but over, I'd say the past maybe two weeks or so, I have played A Machine for Pigs. I have been out of work, uh, just working from home and I, I took a couple of sick days. I, I've just been, uh, be plagued, I, I think you would, I think it's the technical term. Um, so I did actually spend one of my sick days, um, primarily just like with the lights off playing Machine for Pigs in my living room, coughing and on cold meds. So, um, that's, that's probably how they meant for me to play it, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I played via the, um, collection uh, on the PS4, or well, I guess on the PS5, the PS4 version. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I am. I, um, I, can, I can imagine myself going back and playing it again whenever I decide to play Rebirth and or The Bunker, um, just because, you know, it's how my brain works, even though they're not necessarily directly connected, aside from the titular amnesia, which does occur, which, you know, we'll talk about that. But uh, actually, there are a, a number of direct connections between Dark Descent and Machine for Pigs, uh, but yeah, we'll 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 get there. Uh, before we do, though, big 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 spoiler alert here because there's a uh, a pretty a pretty sizable amount of backstory to this game. I I'm gonna go ahead and say that we will try to keep spoilers for Dark Descent to a minimum, but there are, as I've mentioned, a couple of things that do tie together. So there might be some kind of indirect bits in here. So if you are super sensitive to that kind of thing, you should probably go and play Dark Descent. Uh, I do recommend it. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, on Game Pass via the collection. So if you have access to that, then then go for it. Spooky Season is upon us. And I think this is a good game to, uh, both of these are good games to uh, to kind of slot into that particular time of year. So, uh, yeah, we start off as uh, our protagonist, Oswald Mandis, which is a powerful name. <laughs> Definitely not a play on Ozymandias. Um, he awakens in his home and in a kind of weird bed cage thing, which that that was strange. Uh, never really actually came into play why everybody's sleeping in cages, but uh, sure. Uh, wakes up and knows nothing. He has amnesia. The only thing that he knows is that his children are somewhere around and they're calling for him and he needs to find them. And that's how you start off. So um, there aren't many distinct characters in this game. 
there are a few, which is Oswald, um, his wife, Lily, who has passed away. Uh, she died in childbirth, um, at giving birth to their sons, uh, twin, twin sons, Enoch and Edwin, uh, which right away, you know, you're in a horror game. Twins always, always, always creepy. Um, sorry to any twins who may be listening, but it's not your fault. You are, in fact, creepy. Yeah, these two um, particularly little, like, blonde little blonde kids, of, yeah. You always see them together, like, running around doing things. <laughs> it's like the exactly Shining the twins. Same. Like, while it's been done before, uh, it doesn't doesn't mean that it doesn't work. It's still it's still scary. Creepy oh, twins. Oh, like, oh yeah, no, it's time. very effective, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the game The game kind of gives you some nailed-on nailed on horror vibes, doesn't it? Twins, pigs, and a mansion. I mean, pigs are just horrifying, I think. I'm terrified of pigs. Any kind of pig, they're including cute baby ones, I think are just, they're just strange looking. I, I, so I think if you put tw- like twin children, pigs, and a haunted mansion, uh, that, like, I, you know, I'm terrified going in. Let me just point out a this lot of mansion. Rusty machinery. Well, it's not even rusty machinery, really. It's just machinery, and machinery doesn't care whether your hand is there or not so no. that's kind of threatening especially this kind of big turn of the century you know uh, just steampunky type uh industrial big... machinery yeah, I mean, that's yes, that's got to be that's... like one of the key themes of this entire game is like the horrors of industrialization and like particularly oh, sure. obviously what it's then going to do to the world in the following century but yeah like everything in this is just absolutely kind of built to look and sound and act creepily and i think you know you walk around this mansion at the very beginning and yes it is a creepy mansion and it's you know it's a creepy mansion in certain ways because it's like big and empty and there's lots of weird hidden passages and it's quite clear after about five minutes that somebody has been sort of holding people hostage behind the walls and like torturing people and i think there's even a note or something where the kids mention that they can hear like ghosts behind the walls and you just realize oh yeah it's just where dad's been keeping his victims um but also like i love this it just really kind of ha- it's not really ham-fisted although like the way that they kind of make it feel more creepy is just by adding in there's just like numerous random jump scares, like lots of things going bump in the night. And it seems quite incongruous as it's happening. But I think you can kind of realize like, you, I mean, or at least I in my brain have kind of made the exception for as you go on, you realize that this house is presumably on top of all of this huge machinery that's been built underground and that maybe all these noises are just like, you know, when you hear some random banging in the night and you're just like, oh, it's probably just my pipe settling. But it's like that to like, you know a thousand times over um so it kind of it's really weird when like the chandeliers just start shaking for no reason but i guess it kind of it it, it makes a little bit more sense than just ooh creepy jump scare mansion the the jump scares for me just felt a little cheap like and i wonder whether it it, it did feel incongruous to the environment that i felt w- was that they built you know the, the the shaking you don't know it but obviously looking back now that's the machine isn't it where in a way you know levels and levels beneath I, is is how i took it but the jump scares felt like anna looking back and having read that postmortem and read some of the the online correspondence i wonder whether that was they were added in late you know as a bit of a concession to the to the dark descent crowd because it didn't ever feel necessary to me yeah, I would agree with that. Mm. I so for me, it felt like 
I was a little surprised at the beginning of the game being kind of as as small a part of the overall story as it was, because in The Dark Descent, you are primarily in the mansion for the entirety of the game. I mean, you have kind of uh, spin-offs, you have kind of like side areas to the mansion, but they all kind of connect into it, ultimately. And, you know, that's where you're spending most of your time. You know, they're all parts of this big complex out in the middle of nowhere. Here, it's almost like just level one, mansion, level two, sewers, level three, factory. You know, it's very, it's very divided that way. And, and, you know, you have reasons between going from one area to the other and, and kind of descending haha mm-hmm. uh descending into the just kind of the the deeper and deeper parts of the machine but it it's it's you don't really run into any direct danger to your character for a long time yeah. and and it's the same way in the dark descent for the most part like you don't really hit any monsters for a while but to my mind where the dark descent really stood out is that even before that the atmosphere is just so oppressive and so just heavy and and you just you can't stand in any one place for too long if it's dark because yeah. it'll drive you actually insane and you know you can't look at certain things for too long or that'll drive you insane and and here it just doesn't feel very earned like the atmosphere is creepy in a lot of situations but before you ever see that first man pig you you have you have hit more jump scares than you have hit just genuinely creepy things like there's i i don't and and a symptom of that or or maybe not a symptom maybe uh maybe a uh a product of that is that as as was mentioned i don't remember who mentioned this before i think i think it might have been john um, that the sanity mechanic is no longer present. Now, I am typically not a person who at all enjoys games where you can't fight back. Um, I don't really tend to like that. But here, it, it the, the sanity mechanic just seemed like it really fit because, you know, you you might not be able to fight back, but you can still do something about the consequences of what's happening to you here. Not so much like you're not actively going insane in game terms, but you've just taken away any tension that you might've had by giving an infinite battery flashlight to you, which, Oh yeah, it's going to flicker when you point it at a monster. Oh no. But I I mean, there's, there's no real, there's no real consequences for that. It just kind of feels tacked on, I guess. So a lack of, I found a bit of a lack of stakes with that, like with not having a sanity mechanic and having the flashlight that, that kind of always runs out, maybe there wasn't enough to, to kind of keep you on edge. But the one thing I will mention with the start of the game is I think they did a really good job in that early part with the, the sound in particular. That's what put me the most on edge. It was so, so kind of industrial and, and the way that it was mixed, some of those sounds came in really, really loudly when you're kind of moving slowly through the home and just reading notes and trying to piece together what I, you know, what I'd forgotten and what I was actually doing in that house. And, um, 
and you know the the way that they told the story environmentally with uh, you know bottles lying around the house every time I opened drawers in that first part of the game there was loads of bottles in there so that kind of you know instantly puts some thoughts in in your head and um yeah the soundscape for that early part really did really did kind of set the tone so I'd like to read a piece of correspondence before we get into the meat of the story. This is uh, from our forum. You can go there and share your thoughts on games that we are covering in Volume 12 and beyond when that happens. Um, this is from Taz, who says, As a follow-up to the superb Amnesia the Dark Descent, my expectations for this game were very high. I enjoyed the game for what it was, but it didn't come close to meeting those expectations. It was much shorter and lighter mechanically. I spent less time solving puzzles and hiding from monsters, and more time just walking around. There's no inventory, which hobbles the puzzle design, as you can't pick up key items to use later, and your lantern is now unlimited. The sanity system is gone. Health regenerates, meaning you don't need to find health pickups anymore. There were fewer encounters with enemies. The game felt shallower in almost every respect. These didn't feel like changes, they felt like reductions. Because of the lighter focus on game mechanics, it seemed that the story really was front and center this time around. For this reason, it seemed a little odd that, when the credits rolled, I had less of a grasp of what had occurred in the story than I did in The Dark Descent, almost certainly because I'd missed some of the handwritten notes along the journey. But in a way, this helped the game stick in my mind. I was left not frustrated, but intrigued by what I had experienced. Horror thrives when we don't see everything clearly, and I felt like this game had shown me just enough and hadn't overexposed itself by giving away all of its secrets. The Dark Descent succeeded in frightening me while I was playing it, but a machine for pigs got under my skin in a different way. I found it more disturbing than its predecessor, mostly thanks to the man-pigs. Seeing the pigs playing with children's toys in one mid-game scene really stuck with me. Considering how much man might be left within them, and why they had been created at all, really bothered me. The Dark Descent was horrifying, but left little to the imagination by the end. There was little ambiguity as to what had happened and why. I also love the vibe and aesthetic. The Victorian factorial setting really lends itself to this type of game, and the feeling of traveling down into the guts of the machine is pulled off well enough. I just wished I'd felt more threat from the enemies while I was down there. I'm pleased the Chinese room put their own spin on the series instead of recycling The Dark Descent, and what we got is a very effective experience in its own right. It just doesn't compare to the exceptional original game. So, um, there are some direct connections to The Dark Descent. Mandus, our protagonist, you can find out just via the um, kind of the in-game materials that you read. He is the great nephew of Daniel, the protagonist from The Dark Descent. Uh, and you kind of find that out with regards to um, the, the excursion he makes to Mexico. Uh, he references finding an, uh, an egg in the temple that he, uh, that he goes to. And it's kind of implied that this is an orb of the same kind that Daniel and um, Alexander of Brennenburg are after in the Dark Descent and ultimately end up constructing one of. Um, there is a, uh, when, you, when you are doing a section to uh, kind of burn open a lock, you have to, uh, one of the elements that you have to collect to make the kind of chemical to burn the lock off is uh, Vitae, which was a pretty big thing in the original Dark Descent. Uh, and for those of you who either have not uh, played it or do not remember, Vitae is basically the extract of what happens when you torture somebody really badly. Um, I don't know if there's such a thing as not bad torture, but um, if, if there is, this ain't it. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what happens the essence that pops out when you torture somebody is Vitae, I guess. 
Uh, and there are some kind of allusions to the creatures from the Dark Descent. You can, uh, you, obviously you don't see them because they're invisible, but there are water monsters hanging out in those sewers, and, um, it's, this is one of the areas where it wasn't super duper dark all the time, which kind of is contradictory to what you might want, but, but uh, anyway, there's, they're there. Um, yeah, I think there's even a mention in if it's not in one of the bits of the journal, it might be one of the notes that you pick up um, where he talks about like the, some sort of early prototype for the pigmen or something. And they're in yeah. the sewers. I mean, there's, there's also like, they're clearly electrified or something as well. And there's a point later on where you yes. get like a teleporting electric pig dude right at the end. So like, yeah, you're, you're kind of seeing the results of, of what he's considering to be like his perfect, you know, experiment if if they've actually reached the point that he considers to be perfection. But yeah, I, it is sort of weirdly implied that the creatures from the first game are like the monsters in the first game are like the casts offs and the things that didn't like weren't up to scratch. Yeah, I don't remember if I saw this in like some external. I watched a few videos and everything. Um, so I'm not sure whether this was part of that or something that you could have found within the actual game text. Uh, but it it sounded like he had basically had the remnants of the creatures from Brennenburg imported after Brennenburg kind of collapsed under its own weight after the events of the Dark Descent. Um, so they may be like directly, the, just the direct genetic material that was there uh, potentially used when creating the man pigs. I mean, I think it's, it's worth mentioning, like, you know, not to, not to kind of draw comparison to the sorts of games that add a lot of lore through like extra collectibles or like, item descriptions or anything. But I think, you know, if you find the notes in this, like I, there's not that many spread out through the entire game. I think I counted uh, some guide that I was looking at at one point was talking about the different notes and I wasn't actually going through and collecting them on this playthrough. But I think it mentioned that there's something like 45 of them. And I just, in this playthrough just stumbled across almost all of those i've got like 40 or something but the the content of these things adds so much to like like the the kind of the heinous nature of what's been going on in this like the constant sort of journal entries talking about how they're harvesting people from the streets and like sort of talking with glee about like sending orphan children into the pipes to clean them and like making a game of whether they're going to get in and back out before the the boiling steam comes back in um there's there's a bit where he talks about like it's really uh really easy to like make poor people disappear but it's also you know they're kind of wary you can't just invite them to come to your house and then like kill them at your house because they just they're you know they don't trust you but there's a point where he talks about building like a fake street with a floor that just drops out almost like in a slaughterhouse or something and just like throwing a street party for dozens and dozens of people just like dropping the floor out and having them fall straight into the production line. God, I think I missed that like, one. It's yeah. so <laughs> ghoulish the the lengths that they talk about what he does here and it's just like it's it kind of adds huge amounts to the story that you were saying you know, like the the dark descent is kind of one and done and it's not that ambiguous but this game it's like if you just played through it and didn't read any of these extra notes i feel like you'd be more sympathetic towards the guy and a little bit more like you know i know that these amnesia games clearly the whole point is you've done something abysmally terrible and then 
done something that's made you forget it and you kind of play through and slowly pick up the pieces of the awful things that you've done and you know to some extent you're playing like a better version of that character who's also appalled by it but like the negatives in this the bad stuff that these people mostly this one guy have done is so unbelievably irredeemable it doesn't like the scope of it is even hard to convey in the the gameplay yeah you've got to be patient as well playing this i think because i I remember thinking, I, I, you know, and I'm one of, the, yeah, I like role playing games, I like adventure games, I like reading in games. It's what I, I do. It's what I enjoy. But there is a, I found there was a lot, you know, and there was a lot of some of these notes are three, four pages long, and so you, you've got to be patient because if you don't read that stuff, and as you say, John, you're not going to get. Well, yeah, I, I, I struggle to get the full picture of the plot, even, even from a playthrough, and I read everything that I found very slowly and very carefully because I knew I was going to be talking about it for a couple of hours. But I still needed some outside help in passing yeah, everything. There's still some ambiguity around exactly the chain of events and everything, but yeah, they give you so much as well. The notes, if you don't read the notes in in detail, you don't actually know how to how to kind of complete certain puzzles because you you might get an idea yes. of how to do yes. them, but that fills in fills in the gaps. And when I was trying to kind of get through this game fairly quickly and not being patient um, and not paying attention to the surroundings and to the notes, that's when I found that I was getting stuck. So once I actually, that, yeah. that lock, one of the points actually that you brought up before was when you do have to mix those couple of compounds, that's to progress further where you have to destroy a lock in an area. And I actually thought the game had bugged out because reading all of the all of the text and things like that, I was very close to sending a message to you guys in the Slack and saying, "Why can I not get rid of this lock? I've made the I've made the stuff that's supposed to disintegrate it." And um, upon I'm thinking, what am I missing here? And I was playing with that chair and that light for a good few minutes before this, and and you know just did not put together the connection. And then thought, hang on, what did those last couple of notes say? And one of the notes said really clearly in there that once you've made the compound, it needs a light source in order to activate it. And I just, I must have ran around that area for 45 minutes and thought all I needed to do was have a look at that note and not just run around and, you know, try to, I even tried to go and re-grab the compounds and do it again. I thought it might have needed a, a second go. And then I just thought, oh, just read the notes and pay attention. But um, yeah, it's... Didn't make that mistake again. Read much more carefully for the rest of the game. <laughs> so I want to make a stab here at talking about the story of this game. Um, what happens during the game is pretty straightforward, um, but what leads you to where the game starts is a little bit more twisty. Um, and these are the things that you typically will find out either through bits of dialogue. There are um, phonographs set up, which is a thing that they did in uh, Justine as well. Um, there are kind of phonographs set around that you can play to hear some um, uh, bits and pieces of exposition. And um, here you can't interact with every phonograph, but the ones you can interact with typically will give you some kind of uh, color on what has come before. So, uh, Mandis, uh, we mentioned before, his wife uh, passed away in childbirth, leaving him with his twin sons. Uh, he is, quite understandably, very grief-stricken, and he, uh, whereas he was kind of a successful businessman before, he starts to decline, and he starts to um, 
uh, he starts to get into some kind of weird stuff. And one of the notes that you can find pretty early on says, oh, the bank isn't even going to lend me money anymore because they don't believe in me. So, you know, he you kind of get the impression even by that point that he's doing things that maybe aren't strictly just normal business practices. So you mean like building uh, a city-sized slaughterhouse and dropping people through maybe. fake streets? Maybe. I don't think I'd lend money to someone who was trying to do that if I was a bank manager either. God forbid. I don't know. It depends on depends on who he's taking. Cause, well, com- I mean, compared, yeah. compared to some modern CEOs, it's actually probably not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, listen, I work for a very large corporation. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, please do not take that seriously if you are my boss and listening. Mm. Also, if you are Leah's boss, please don't process her into a pig person. <laughs> please don't. These I are the opinions of Kate and Rince, not Leah. Draw people into it. It's fine. Whereas me, on the other hand, um, with no connection to Leah's company. <laughs> uh, anyway... Um, it's almost it, it, it kind of almost sounds like a last resort when Mandis starts uh going to different countries and making these expeditions and um what he's looking for is potentially since he has had access to his great uncle's notes he's interested in this orb that can do pretty much you know it can give you unlimited power do whatever you want it to do so he goes looking for it and finds something that may be an orb in a temple in Mexico. Now, on this particular excursion, he brings his children with him, and what you find out later on is that when he finds this orb and he he touches it, you know, he starts getting visions of the future, and the visions of the future that he gets are incredibly bleak, um, and bleak in a way that, like, is is realistic bleakness it's not just like you know oh demons are gonna sprout out of the earth and everybody's everybody's pigmen now so um we you know we have to do something about that uh he specifically uh one of the visions that he sees that affects him the most is his children um dying in the trenches in world war one and he again understandably has a problem with this weird i know but um this is where i kind of stop sympathizing yes. well i mean there were really? probably um <laughs> this his solution uh, to that problem is uh, unorthodox yeah a little bit so um he uh in order his justification is that he is trying to spare his children this later death so what he does is he kills them himself and then he brings their skulls back to the mansion and buries them in the garden. <laughs> so to spare th- okay. So so now we are at Mandis has an orb. Mandis has killed his children. Mandis is pretty nutso by this point. Uh he has decided that uh humanity is doomed. There's nothing that anybody can really do to uh stop this um, march of progress. Um, we talked briefly before about how industrialization was a big part of it, and there is a lot of dialogue both in the specific uh, game pieces that you are are funneled through, as well as um, in some of the notes that you find that are really just, he thinks he is doing this great thing, and he thinks that this machine that he is building, um, presumably, I, I don't think it explicitly says this, but presumably the orb has given him some kind of knowledge or some kind of mental blueprint to start building this machine. So he's building this machine um, and he, in order to uh, convert basically people into these pig creatures, um, 
Now, here's, here's, I, I pause here. Um, I don't think that I found anything stating why pigs. Um, d- do you guys know anything about this? Is it because, like, is his goal, is he making these pigs because he's trying to kind of bring in an apocalypse? Was Like, does he want to start again? Is is that, have I got that part of the story right? Because this I found really ambiguous and and hard to follow. My kind of read on it is like multiple fold. Now I'm I'm slightly confused by the timeline because you see various visions of his children who presumably are maybe eight to ten or so in the visions, which implies that the wife died, uh, you know, eight to ten years before that. And then you would imagine that if the excursion to Mexico and sacrificing his children is what then kicks off after building the machine you then must think that it's got to be some number of years since then because he's got this huge underground thing that must have taken vast amounts of time and resources and like human effort to build. Um, But I'm not sure. I I feel like the game kind of more makes it sound like that happens on a fairly short time scale. But I mean, I think that there are, there are notes that mention um, that pigs are kind of the perfect beings. It's something to do with humans and pigs being kind of close DNA matches, which maybe makes it easier to sort of to transform somebody into a pig creature more so than something else. Um, I think there's also an implication that um, previous to building this machine, like his business was basically running a slaughterhouse and like a, um, like an abattoir. So, yeah, he was a butcher, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, so kind of makes sense. He already knows, like, how to work with pigs, and maybe he finds it easy to kind of use the same machines that worked for slaughtering pigs into mm-hmm. kind of slaughtering humans as well. There's also various talk about him kind of seeing people, like, as pigs. Specifically, there's notes that mention, like, I, I don't even know where this falls into place. Like, I've struggled to even know if this happened, like, before he went to Mexico and saw the vision of the future. But there's this talk of, like, inviting sort of rich people over parties and killing them and, like, serving up their meat at parties and that sort of thing to, like, other wealthy people. And there's there's kind of a lot of comparisons between some of these people in their human lives as being similar to pigs is a bit where he talks about like a caricature in a magazine in like parade magazine or something like that, or punch magazine, you know, some like count or something being drawn as a pig. And he's sort of making a joke that, well, we kind of butchered him like a pig and he was delicious when we ate him like a pig. So I feel like it's kind of, there's like a lot of different layers, but it's not really at the same time. It's maybe not like super, super well explained. It's all just kind of like coincidental things falling together. The timeline as I kind of had it in my mind, and and I'm not sure if they do put specific dates on anything. The the game takes place in 1899. Um, That that much I do know. And um, so I, I, the way that I kind of had it is his wife passes away. um, And then, you know, he, his, his children, uh, he brings up his children until however old they are, eight, nine, um, and then after he takes them to the temple and kills them, I think that's what starts his actual people killing. Like, I don't think he's killing other people before then. I think he's just kind of getting crazy. And I, I again, I, I'm not 100% on this. I, I could I could have that mixed up. But it, it seemed like that was kind of where he broke 
and split his own. So he, um, he is, we haven't really talked about the engineer. Um, the engineer is a character who Mandis talks to at various points throughout the game. And, um, like he gets calls on this telephone, the, 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 the voice is telling him to continue coming into the, uh, into the depths and to, save his children by fixing this machine. Uh, but what we find out is that the engineer is really just kind of Mandis's alternate personality. Um, and, and I took that as like when he found this orb and when he touched the orb, that's kind of when he split. And that's when the engineer part of him came into being, because the reason that he's able to destroy the machine at the end of the game is because the machine is partially him. Like they, they make reference to the fact that he split his own heart and put half of it into the machine. So like he basically is the machine at this point, And that's the part that, that, that is um, the, uh, the engineer. Now, I don't know if that means his literal heart. I, I kind of don't think so, but maybe I'm not sure it, it's entirely possible. There is a point um, right at the end where there is literally a heart kind of at the center of the machine, right. like held up okay. by the so, same so, things yeah, that, that you that then kill be, yourself I, with afterwards. I, Yes. Okay. So yeah, literally his heart then. Um, but the, where I get stuck is why, if, if, if industrialization is the problem, why is building this machine going to fix it? And wouldn't him trying to destroy the machine actually make more sense? Well, I think, the I think thoughts, it's more thoughts yeah. help. Okay. <laughs> I think it's more humanity. I think he sees humanity as the problem, don't we? And, mm. and whether that, whether his view as humanity is the problem leading to World War One, and therefore I need to use what industrial tools I have to solve that problem by ending humanity. So I see it that he sees he sees the kind of wastage that happens, you know, the humanity turning into big fat pigs as a product of the uh, of industrialization. And therefore, he thinks, right, I need to do something about this. I can do something about it because of what I have and what I do. Uh, and therefore, I will. It, it is where I get a, a little bit eye-rolly. So I, I, the setup, I think, is great in the story. I think it's, it's tragic. You know, it's got all the trappings of a really good story. You know, you, you've got a well-to-do individual. You've got a bit of tragedy. Uh, a lot of tragedy, or a bit of tragedy, a lot of tragedy, and then it kind of all just gets a little bit hand wavy, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, he built this at some point, and he and he he does it for kind of this reason. Pigs are very convenient because they make a horrible noise and they look unpleasant when you attach one to a body of a human, uh, so that's really convenient. And I, it's where I just feel it kind of starts to kind of pull at the threads a little bit for me once you start to get into some of the detail and then by the time you get to the end it's kind of gone hasn't it and i i I had i had literally lost the plot i had to get some outside help to tell me just what had happened at the end there's also a point like so you basically spend probably the first maybe three quarters or more of the game the idea is that this machine which is the engineer which or the the it's you basically the part of you 
is telling you that there's been a saboteur who's trying to destroy the machine and trying to stop it and you must go and fix the machine and your children are down somewhere in the bowels of the machine as well so you know you need to sort of make your way down there and fix the machine and find your children and you do all of this and you spend literally probably three quarters of the game like getting this machine running again at that point there's also the revelation that you have actually murdered your children and that they're uh, I think I guess that kind of makes you remember it. But then at that point, you fix the machine, you freed all these pig people, you go back up to the surface of London streets, you know, kind of thinking, "Oh, fantastic! I shall go and bask in my success." See the horrors of what you've actually done, i.e., the pig people kind of running rampant and just murdering everybody. And at that point, you seem to have like another kind of mental break and go, "Oh my god, actually." This was a really bad idea. What am I doing? And then the final, the next portion, I think it's the only point where you actually revisit an area that you'd previously been to, which you do a lot in the Dark Descent. But when I saw it here, it was kind of jarring because the levels do feel quite linear otherwise. But you go back into the bowels of the machine with the specific um, kind of knowledge that, okay, well, you were the saboteur in the first place. So presumably a previous version of you or previous you also became disgusted by realizing what was going on and needed to destroy the machine and then through whatever magic of the the orb or the the, the machine or whatever it made you forget and is trying to get you to you know to kind of fix the sabotage that you've done but you then yeah it's been like the last quarter of the game recommitting the kind of the damage to the machine which just feels really like I get it, but it's very sort of tonal whiplash of we've spent ages with this very clear idea that we need to get this machine up and running and getting the machine running is what's going to help not understanding what the actually the machine running and the consequences really are going to be. And then your dude who has committed various acts of like mass murder and atrocities previous to this game who has conveniently forgotten about it all suddenly sees like what feels like one fairly minor terrible thing happening and goes oh my god actually i was correct in this in stopping this and destroying it but it, it just feels so bizarrely sudden like it makes sense but it is just to me it was slight whiplash you do kind of wonder like <laughs> i mean what did he think was gonna happen once he let all the pigmen out <laughs> like that's yeah, I, I really hadn't considered it like that, but the the sections, I, I do think that it's um kind of a, a nice change that they show you actual consequences of what is going on it, by going out into the literal London streets and seeing, you know, kind of what, what the problem is now, uh, rather than just having this whole thing, you know, locked up in what effectively is Frankenstein's mansion and you know and just having it separated from everybody who otherwise would be affected by it i also think that maybe it well i don't know it it potentially could have benefited this game to have more than one ending the dark Mm. descent does Mm. this does not Mm. And, and i don't think that's necessarily a problem but i think it could have been interesting to see if you could make the choice to allow your pigmen to continue their rampage across England and you know ha- have that be the mandus that you are playing with with all of that information or to do what you actually do and sacrifice mandus to take down the machine for good yeah 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 
It felt like a setup for multiple endings. I I was quite surprised that, and I think it was a, a definitely a decision there by the Chinese room to that yeah. was their that was yeah. their uh, vision, and that's how the they wanted to end the game. But it really did feel like a. I've, I've played a lot of games like this where it's you 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 read a lot of ambiguous text on the way through, and then at the end, like a lot of the way the Far Cry games end. I know it's not they're very different in terms of tone, but you do get that decision. You kind of, you get to make the choice with what you've learned through the game. You get that agency at the end. But yeah, I, th- I thought, you know, pretty brave here that they that they didn't have that. And it's it's kind of an easy decision maybe sometimes for devs to do that. So it was good that they um, that they stuck to what they, stuck to their guns there. Uh, let's talk about the visuals a little bit. Um, I, if, if, um, if we, if there's one thing that I can say definitively about this game, it's that it's really, really, really dark. And I mean that both in a tonal sense and just in a visual, I can't see anything type of sense. Um, and I also didn't care for the fact that especially towards the end of the game, you get a lot of screen shake and as, as things are kind of yeah falling down and disintegrating around you, it's a cool effect that, that wears out its welcome, for me at least pretty quickly especially since i had the rumble on so my controller was just <laughs> freaking out um but i'm, I'm interested shaking. to know whether you guys thought this was a fitting thing or not yeah i thought it was just okay for me the visuals i mean they were, i didn't i always find with with older games this is a 10 year old game now that that in some ways from a te- on a technical level that it's quite difficult to judge because you know, I've probably been playing Horizon Forbidden West immediately before playing this. So, you know, you're going from, from that to, to something which is 10 years old. But on, on an artistic level, I found the visuals all right, I suppose. I mean, the mansion was had some interesting things to look at, some nice visual storytelling. But once you got down in towards the bowels and then into the machine, felt a lot of the environments were a bit samey, industrial kind of uh, environments, which... Yeah, had had some interesting things. There was some street street names, street signs on the walls towards the end, which was a nice little touch of like this underground city. Um, but generally, I, I I don't think the visuals are much to write home about. I actually went went away and read some of the contemporary reviews and some of the comments on those reviews just to see what people at the time were saying about the graphics and whether you know whether people were saying they were great at the time. And and from what from what I could what I could tell. They didn't really blow anyone away at the time, so they're not going to blow us away in 2023. I didn't. I, I thought that they were fine um, when you could see them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I really think that what got me about the fact that it was so dark is that the dark descent was also very dark. It was, but yeah. that served a purpose there. Mm. If you spent too much time in the dark, you would start to lose sanity, and you had reasons to you know kind of ration your time in the dark and ration your resources to make light and to have your lantern be a a, um a limited resource rather than just always on and i don't i i don't really know what the solution is here like i agree that you know in in some of the segments where it is less dark like in the mansion and on the streets and even in those places, it's not always super, super light. But uh, it, in those places, you know, where you can see things, I think that's more of a, a happy medium for me. Mm. Because, you know, you, it, it's not 
I'm not saying that you have to be able to see everything clearly all the time, always. I, I'm just saying that if there's no reason for it to be that dark other than to obscure where perhaps enemies are, then why is it still so dark in yeah, all yeah. of the places where there aren't any enemies and I don't need it to be this dark? And can I just please just have a little bit of brightness so yeah. that I can see where I'm I going? Mean- that did feel like a deliberate design decision, though, right? I mean, it didn't. It doesn't feel like that is something wrong with it. I, f- I felt like they set out to make it like that. But, yeah, like you, I can't really understand why it needed to be so dark in this game. I wonder if it's just kind of a holdover from The Dark Descent, where the darkness was more of a mechanic, and in that game you would have had, like, sconces and stuff all over the place with, um, you know, with candles that you could light. Yeah, yeah, like mm. it, it feels a little bit like yeah, we didn't actually change the, um, you know, the, the engine that the game was built in. So it's just kind of <laughs> no, like move that slider. Yeah, basically, like it's just switched over, but we just then now don't have any of this darkness mechanic in it. So instead of you lighting torches all over the place, you've just kind of got to go through the area that is as dark as it was in the Dark Descent. Yeah, the the one that I didn't have too much problem with it being dark, and you know, in saying that, I ran around with my flashlight on for uh, for most yeah. of the game, even in yeah, probably so, areas yeah. where I shouldn't where I shouldn't have, because you know, the run mechanic I found was was pretty good. If you could get around the uh, the pigs, you could leave the the flashlight on. But the only the only time the darkness really, I suppose, got to me was in a few areas where um, there's one in particular where you have to find a small elevator shaft to kind of exit out of a section. And it was a really dark um, area. And if, if that was kind of, you know, it's not one of those games where it's designed for the, th- for the points that you interact with are going to have a big spark of light around them. Definitely not like that. You need to hunt things out. But where it was dark and you, you've got an objective there and it didn't, they didn't really do much with lighting or with anything to indicate that there was an objective there, that, that you know, that got to me a couple of times. But... Other than that, I, I didn't find the darkness too too kind of um, dark. But also, like John mentioned before, with the the gamma is um, I always play those games. I find I'm not sure whether it's my eyes or, or what it is, but I often find most games a little bit too dark when you follow the when you follow the instructions and make that box barely yeah. visible. So generally, yeah, I make yeah. it a little lighter than what than what it recommends. Anyway, I just find that for my experience that that's normally a better option for me. So I did that. I did the same with this one. So we've talked quite a bit about the gameplay, but one thing I did want to uh, come back to before we uh, start to wrap up is the audio design of this game. Um, So we mentioned before that there are not many characters, not, not many specific characters, and there are even fewer characters who are actually voiced the main characters that uh, you will hear the voices of are uh, Mandus, of course, voiced by Toby Longworth, who has done a number of other things in uh, the voice acting sphere. Not um, not a ton of main roles, but um, you know, I, I thought that Mandus was uh, a perfectly good voice uh, role here. And there's the engineer uh, who was voiced by Mark Roper. And two things about that. One, I kind of thought from a pretty early point in the story that it was just the the voice actor for Mandis doing a slightly different voice, yeah, I did which well, I yeah. think is probably intentional, and and if so, they nailed it in my mind. Mm. Uh, the other thing is that uh, Mark Roper didn't have any other voice credits um, <laughs> for video games, so it's, I, and I mean, I think I think he did a fantastic job, so... 
Uh, but yeah, not, not a, an especially prolific actor. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of the voice acting? I thought it was, I thought it was very good. I thought the, the voice acting and also the, mm-hmm. the, the kind of flavor text, the, the writing of the letters. I, um, I think it was well, I think they were well written in that old style and it felt quite mature reading through those and, and kind of enjoying the, the writing there. But yeah, the vocal performances, as much as there's not a lot of voice in the game, um, I think it, I think it carried it along nicely. I think it worked out well. And I know we'll come to this next, but the, um, but the music in the game, I think that was, that was the biggest highlight for me. And, and we'll probably talk about that after the, the vocal sort. What did you guys think of the, the voices? Yeah, I think it helps sell the period, which I think is what these these little snippets of voice that you hear on the on the phonograms are designed to do. You know, it's it, it is that it's that classic, you know, stiff upper lip English, you know, gentlemen conversing with one another nonsense thing that that that's what, when you think about the the late nineteenth century and that that's they're the kind of voices you hear. So I think somebody really... in, in in all of those. Uh, I, this is just my my picture as the American. Um, somebody in any in all of those conversations was always adjusting a monocle. I'm not exactly sure who, that. But exactly, at least one of them. Yeah, they have one <laughs> job. Those voice actors have one job, and it was to sell that kind of vision. And yeah. I think they did. But I think there's also like elements where so the engineers a little bit less kind of, um, less like changeable. But the the Mandus voice, like if you're asking somebody to do this, they are there's like a very wide range of kind of emotions that's that's kind of flipping through this to the, you know, the kind of the being sort of confused about what's going on and like acting sort of relatively innocent and inquisitive and just kind of looking for his kids and figuring that nothing's going on to then sort of monologuing, reading some of these, you know, like uh, depictions of like real horrific things happening. Um, and some of it's like very sort of straight face, straight lace. The uh, I d- I never really quite got it, but I I my reading was that the phonograph conversations that there's only probably I don't know maybe less than a dozen of in the whole game were possibly yeah, him like talking to a doctor or a psychiatrist or something yeah. about what's yeah, going on. I think so. And again, like the the kind of the different intonation of his voice and stuff when he's describing different things in some of these conversations like yeah i i mean i'm not sure who like toby longworth is vocally like i'm not sure what else he's done but i think for this role with the amount of like different inflections and the nuance and stuff that had to go into some of these readings and like you've written this like in full down below but this final speech that um i think the engineer reads out the emotion and stuff in that voice the way that that's read it's so like it's just absolutely perfect just nails what they're yeah. going for in this um, like i mean yeah. as does i think all of the rest of the music and the sound design like it just encapsulates the feelings that are going through this game and it all kind of blends so well together the only thing that i thought is maybe slightly stands out is we've talked a bit about some of the sound design and stuff some of like the almost incongruous like unnecessary like jump scares and stuff that happen especially early on when you feel like the game should be kind of a little bit more chilled out but generally i think the vocals particularly um just absolutely give you the sensation that they're that they're going for so um yes i would i would like to talk about the music uh sean you you mentioned uh, specifically that you think this is one of your favorite parts i, th- I of the think game. it's the favorite part 
Yeah, I think it. I think it's what really sells I, it. For I me. might have to agree with that. Yeah, the, I, like I'm not too familiar with the the games, and I know you mentioned Jessica Curry has quite the. You know, the, I think everybody went to the Rapture, won quite a few awards for the for the music and the sound design, and just the way that, like for me, and this you know maybe best left till the final summary. But I, when I thought about this, I like did this game scare me? Did this game freak me out? And I think ultimately the answer is no to that. I, I was never, I never felt scared or, or kind of threatened playing playing this game. But the one thing that always had me on edge was not the the promise of the pigmen popping out. It wasn't the the kind of horrific things that were going on. It was the inf- the loud the the way that they did the loud and then the silent and then the loud. It really worked for me with headphones on and. That to me sold the atmosphere probably better than anything else in the in the game, and I'm guilty of I think on the last couple of podcasts I'm normally one of those people that go yeah the music was good it was serviceable but I don't I don't really give it my all and <laughs> and listen to it as much as I probably should sometime but this game absolutely commanded it like the the couple of times that I did play this game just out of convenience not with the headphones on. I found myself wanting to put the headphones on. I was like, it's not quite the same. It, it really adds something to it with, with headphones. And I felt this more with this game than any other game I can really remember in, in recent memory. Yeah. I think Jessica Curry is like an absolute masterclass um, uh, in composing the music that she does. The The way that she kind of invokes emotions out of her sound design and music is like almost unparalleled. I can barely think of anything else that affects me as deeply as some of her pieces of music. I mean, even even like thinking about everybody's gone to the rapture kind of pulls me straight back into the emotions that I had playing that game. And I think for, you know, for kind of probably a longer and more eloquent take on this, I think the, the video that I mentioned that Jacob Geller did before about the um, basically beautiful music in horror games and why balancing kind of horrific stuff with, sort of that sense of serenity and kind of like pretty music playing as well. The section that he does in that talking specifically about a couple of pieces of music in here, just again, like absolutely hits the nail on the head of why this is so good. But it also Sean, what you're talking about, like the, the spots where the music kicks in, like there's a point in this reasonably early on. It's probably within the first sort of quarter or third of the game where you enter a chapel and, you've got like your objective which you may or may not realize at the time is basically to sneak into one of them not even sneak because there's no enemies here but to kind of like skulk around in the church and you find a, a sconce that you need to insert into the wall and like open up a secret passageway in the middle of the church um and ultimately like it ends up being you know a safe area there's nothing actually going on but if you're not you know like if you don't really know what you're doing or you take a bit of time searching around for this this thing it feels very like the atmosphere is so oppressive and the the like 95% of the reason for that is you enter this area and the music like which is some sort of variation on the main theme and this piece that plays at the end um in a couple of different formats, just with this extremely loud kind of booming church organ motif. Like, it's almost a jump scare in itself when you come into this area. And although it's an extremely pretty piece of music, it just makes you feel so on edge. You know, like, I just, I wanted to get out of that area. Like, there's, you know, I think there's quite a, um, you know, quite a, a decent link between kind of like, 
hymnal like church music and kind of horror in general and certainly it works for me um but also the the kind of the flip side of like there's nothing that can be used to sound more sinister in my mind than like one of those full church organs just blasting and it can be used to extremely good effect i can think of a handful of like songs that i absolutely adore because of the inclusion of like a church organ into them but there are points where you enter this church and it's dark and you have no idea what's going to happen in here and this music just blasts and you're like oh my god get me out of this freaking church as quick as possible like to be able to invoke that while also playing an extremely beautiful piece of music with this church organ is just masterful and i think that's that's basically jessica curry's kind of sound and composition like to a t just sums up everything that she does like that yeah like there's a little word isn't there that's banned on cane and rinse and you know, so I, I don't really want to say it but it's almost perfect the the sound the you're score gonna say is overrated oh. almost almost perfect i feel for this game like it's like spots of beauty in darkness like are so much more effective for being in darkness like color in the depths of the ocean is so much more striking because everything around it is black that's what this soundtrack is like you know it goes from really effective ambient music to all of a sudden as john said like this surge of beauty in unexpected in an unexpected place and you does it i mean for me anyway i mean it stopped me completely in my tracks it was a controller down moments it was a sit and take it all in because it, it, it it's moments like that and the sound design is is part of this as well but the overall kind of soundscape of the game elevates this game for me from a yeah it was good to a this is really good you should play it and and the the soundtrack like i've I, i've listened to it loads out of games since since i played the game and the the track certain tracks on the soundtrack come on and it takes you right back and i think that's what a soundtrack should do it should take you back to the moment when you first heard it yeah i don't think there's many memorable parts of this game for me anyway but the soundtrack is one that I will come back to over and over again. And I actually think that music has got a bit of a through line as well through Miko Tamiya's soundtrack on Dark Descent is also wonderful, different, but great. And even going back to the Penumbra games, which he scored as well, music feels like it's a big part of the Amnesia DNA. And I'm excited. Probably the thing I'm most excited about going into Rebirth and the Bunker is just to see what they've done with, with the sound. I um I have a little um uh, I, I think somebody mentioned that I did put a little blurb of text in here and this was one of the places where I think that the soundtrack was used most effectively uh as you are coming to the very end of the game you are as Mandus walking up to basically the heart of the machine, which is, you now know, is Mandus's heart, literally. And you are preparing to shut the machine down for good by sacrificing Mandus, and the engineer is making this one final push to stop you. And it's just this beautiful piece of music, and then just the most horrifying, like, text that you can think of, really. And just the desperation of 
the um of of the other half of Mandis effectively attempting to make it stop so that he doesn't have to go through everything. And I want to read that. So this is um this is the engineer and the name of the piece uh is actually it's called A Child's Shadow if you want to listen to it and I highly recommend that you do. There's a version um, that I, I think will hopefully be on either the intro or the outro music of this uh, this uh, episode that is um, effectively the same thing, but without the lyric. Well, they're not lyrics, <laughs> but without the uh, the monologue. Um, but I just it goes together so well, and it that it really left me with a strong impression uh, at the end there. So. The speech is, I have stood knee-deep in mud and bone and filled my lungs with mustard gas. I have seen two brothers fall. I have lain with holy wars and copulated with the autumnal fallout. I have dug trenches for the refugees. I have murdered dissidents where the ground never thaws and starved the masses into faith. A child's shadow burnt into the brickwork. A house of skulls in the jungle. The innocent, the innocent Mandus, trod and bled and gassed and starved and beaten and murdered and enslaved. This is your coming century. They will eat them, Mandus. They will make pigs of you all, and they will bury their snouts into your ribs, and they will eat your hearts. It hit hard to me. I I thought that that was great. I mean, and I, I did not... I didn't really do it justice, but I think that uh, Mark Roper as the engineer really just nailed it, and and it left me with with just a you know a slow clap moment because uh, it was it was very effective as kind of like the last ditch effort with this music behind it yeah. to uh, to stop Mandis from doing what he was going to do. Yeah, it was a goosebumps moment for me. Yeah, totally for sure. All right. Um, so I want to read one last piece of correspondence before we get to our summaries, but I do have one final question for you guys. Uh, is this game too easy? This is a criticism that I came across a lot when I was uh, kind of reading things, and I, I would argue that it's not. I, I just don't think that it's about how difficult the game is, but I'm, I'm interested to see, given that it was a repeated criticism that I heard, I'm interested to see what you guys think about that. I think it's I think it's maybe a criticism for some, but this game for me is very much narrative driven, and I, I think kind of calling it a, a, a walking simulator, like you mentioned before, is a little. It's not. It's much more of a kind of puzzle um, game to kind of work out. So yeah, no, I, I I think it was. I think the difficulty was in the was in the puzzles and kind of reading the bits and and putting things together. I I don't think it was very hard in the parts that you had to avoid um the pigs, but I don't think it it had to be. I think it was still tense and you still had to kind of wait for your moment, but um I I found that the game probably wasn't too easy um especially a few of those puzzles that really um that really tripped me up. I don't think it's easy enough. It's my opinion. I mean, I, I, I would have gone completely the other way. And I think if the Chinese room had had 100% their way, I think they would have done. I think, you know, the, the very light combat, that, which we haven't even really talked about because it's, it, it barely, it's barely worth the mention, that I would take those, I would take those situations out where you, you're not chased by man pigs at all. And I would actually would have I would have kept some puzzles in there because I think some kind of friction is is good. I think it adds to the experience in narrative games. But I would have simplified some of those puzzles. So instead of having four or five steps, you know, maybe have two or three, just so they present less friction, and so you can get more into the. I you know so in, 
to some extent, I think it might be a little bit too long as well. I think a couple of hours less. Making this making this something that you could finish in one sitting, I think would have, for me, would have improved the experience. So I would have actually made it easier. I think it hits a pretty good level. Like, um, I think for what it is, like a, a kind of a nar- narrative-driven game, you don't really want it to be kind of eight to ten hours long. I mean, you might end up spending that long kind of exploring and solving the puzzles here, but... I mean, it, the the kind of the longer the bits between the narrative take, the more it feels like it drags a little bit. And I think I think they made a very conscious decision here. Like, so I've played through this. Um, I think the first time I played it, I didn't really didn't even get uh, in quotes like killed, defeated by the pigs. And this time playing it today, um, I did a couple of times, and I was quite surprised that it didn't like you know, just give you like a game over screen and load a previous save, which is probably good because the game was quite stingy with the auto saves. And there wasn't, I noticed on the the collection version, I couldn't find an option to actually save the game. It was all just save and quit. And then it would make a save, but it's still kind of, and you you would load from that point, but there wasn't just like a, a save screen where you could make a save and then continue playing. But the points where the pigs actually catch you and when they do enough damage to you, you don't die. You just kind of get, shoved off into an area i think it happened to me in one of the very first spots where you find them i think it might be underneath the church when you're in a room that's kind of a maze of cages and i think it's the first time you meet one of the pig creatures actually properly and i wasn't entirely sure where i was supposed to be going because it was kind of dark and i feel like i got to the end of this passageway and then the pig thing appeared and probably my my kind of objective was our doors open somewhere just sort of sneak around the pig and get back to it but basically the pig thing killed me and you kind of just wake up like nothing has changed but I was just in a cage in one of the cages that I then opened and jumped out of and just basically continued and a very similar thing happened a bit later on there's a, a spot where you fall down in one of the sewer spots and you end up on a walkway that you've then got to run along. You see the pigs all coming after you. And at the end of it is a ladder that you have to climb. And I got sort of killed while I was climbing up the ladder and basically just taken to a slightly out of the way room and dumped in a pit where I then had to solve a very, very minor puzzle to get back out of into a spot where you wouldn't really go otherwise and it kind of made me think oh is it is there more of this in the game are there more of these kind of little doorways that you don't normally get through but maybe if you get killed or something you end up in this room and then you know come out the other side of it but for that point of view like there's not really any sort of failure state or anything there's there's like glaringly few bits where you're actually being chased with any like real like agency and it never gave me the feeling like I had with the dark descent in many places of, um, I'm going to get killed by this thing and I'm going to lose like 10, 15 minutes of progress and I'm going to have to pick up some of my collectibles and stuff again. So I think, you know, I quite like the, the low stakes, even in a game that, you know, we talked earlier about, could you call this a survival horror game? I feel like that point of losing your progress that you would get very much in like an early Resident Evil or something is one of the things that really makes the survival element feel like it's surviving. And it's again, it's like something that you get in the From Software games, that fear of this thing is difficult, I'm going to get killed, I'm going to lose some progress, I'm going to have to repeat a section, I'm potentially going to lose some consumables. So I think not having that actually for me was a, a real positive and I think it wouldn't, I don't particularly want the game to be any more easy or any more difficult 
Um, but I, I can understand why people compare it to other similar games, presumably especially the the Dark Descent, and think, oh, actually, there's not really, you know, the stakes don't feel as high. And maybe that's part of what draws away from the, you know, like the sheer terror of having to run away from something, knowing that it's going to set you back. But I think for me, it's just a different type of game. Like it's just not that type of horror. It's a more psychological sort of keep you up at night after playing it kind of existential dread horror than anything to do with losing progress. So from that point of view, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain about it at all. It's it's actually kind of interesting. I, I, something clicked when you were mentioning that because I I also got killed. I think I think twice because I I also got got at that same spot where the the walkway falls mm-hmm. out falls out from under you. Um, but the, I there was a there was another point where I just got lost and got trapped in a corner basically because it was dark and I couldn't see where I was going. Um, but it it actually kind of makes sense in the context of the game because they wouldn't want to kill Mandus because if they kill Mandus, then they kill the machine. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm ascribing motive to these pigmen that maybe they don't have, but I would think that if he had any ability to kind of make them obey what he what he wanted them to be doing, then that would hopefully be something that he would have thought of, you know, and... If if he's trying to do something that would directly hinder their progress, then yeah, they'd want to put him out of the way. But they, yeah, they shouldn't want to actually kill him. Hmm. So if that was intentional, then interesting. <laughs> All right, uh, gonna wrap up with a little bit more correspondence. This is also from the forum canerons.com/forum. And this is from the reviewist who says, as a huge fan of Amnesia and Dear Esther, I looked forward to Machine for Pigs greatly. The idea of fusing the brilliant narrative and storytelling of the Chinese room with the world building and atmospheric terror of Frictional's game seemed like a match made in heaven, or maybe in hell. In the end, though, it's a rough fit. Don't get me wrong, I really like Machine for Pigs, and some of the moments in it are truly horrifying. But it's not the same sort of horror as before. The body horror and conceptual discomfort of what's happening in the game is truly discomforting at times, but the game never really gets that run-for-your-life terror that Dark Descent and more latterly The Bunker have really succeeded in capturing. That said, the descent through the cobbled streets, plush rooms, and into the bowels of the ungodly machine, following the creepy pair of bobble-headed twins, was far from a bad experience. But it's more of a ghost train rather than an interactive experience. The fearsome horrors of the previous title replaced by awkward rooms filled with shambling lummoxes who irritate and frustrate rather than terrify. I'm glad it exists, and at this point, with Dark Descent, Machine, Rebirth, and Bunker all serving as thematically similar but vastly different anthology entries, it feels more of an understandable piece than it did at first, an experience flawed but darkly beautiful. Thank you very much to our correspondents for today. We also ask for three-word reviews. Uh, you can follow us at Kane and Rinse on Twitter, X, whatever it is right now, and um, we only we only actually got one three word review, and um, I'm go- I'm going to throw to you guys for this one to see if anybody wants to take a stab at this because I don't know that I can I'm do out. it justice. I think we should we I think it should be the person who, who but the the earliest in the day because we're all in different time zones. <laughs> so that's you, Sean. Oh, oh pressure's on. <laughs> that's all, folks. No, hey, that, well was done, that was good. That was good. That's all I can muster at seven twenty one a.m. That was Saibutsu um, on <laughs> on Twitter because pigs get it. I got it.
<laughs> uh, anyway, thank you very much for uh, for both for reading and for uh, for to Saibatsu on Twitter for the uh, the three word review. Okay, um, so let's see. Uh, summaries. I think we're all on kind of a similar level here. Um, so I'm gonna say. Sean, how about you go first? So, yeah, the, I it's not a game that I would normally come to, Amnesia, a machine for pigs. I like my games generally with a, with a few more mechanics to, to dig into, but it's one that I've been interested in for a long time, and as mentioned, I love my survival horror games, so I thought it's a, it's a good time to get into Amnesia and, and play it. I the thing that's going to stick with me the most is not I you know I wasn't too scared by the game uh, there was a couple of things that frustrated me in terms of the puzzles and with the puzzles it's nothing that we haven't seen before I think none of the puzzles were particularly um kind of taxing or, or super engaging but as when you look at this product as a whole and when you take in the the music and the soundscape that that is is part of it it really is a compelling product and and maybe i think upon reflection i probably enjoyed it a little more upon reflection and even after talking to you guys today and hearing some of your some of your takes on on the story um it's it's made me it's made me a little more interested than maybe i was a couple of hours ago to check out amnesia the dark descent and maybe look at the bunker and you know look at soma and and other games like that which have um which have just kind of been missed along my lines of playing playing these survival horror or kind of action adventure uh, titles. So, yeah, I, I I didn't think that it that it would be one that I would recommend, but um upon talking with, about it a little bit more and and digging a bit deeper, I think it's a pretty cool experience and I think if you like these kind of narrative dra- games that are that are kind of, you know, intelligent and um and period kind of set pieces and do that part of it really well, I think you might get a kick out of Amnesia, a machine for pigs. Thank you very much. So I'll go next. Uh, I liked a machine for pigs. I don't think that I liked it as much as I liked Dark Descent. And I don't think that that's because I was expecting them to be the same game. I just think that I preferred the type of game that Dark Descent was to the type of game that machine for pigs is. And that is definitely not to say that I didn't enjoy it. I I did. And I, I I think I like thinking about it more than I maybe liked playing it, because I agree with uh, some of our correspondents that it does feel kind of clunky, and the creatures are maybe not implemented as well as they could have been. Uh, I, I didn't think that it was a negative experience, and I, I definitely didn't like feel any kind of hardship in trying to get around those creatures, because they're pretty stupid, and they don't do... A, I mean, even if they hit you, uh, presumably if you were playing on a higher difficulty level, I think this game has a, a, a hardcore difficulty level of some kind, but uh, on the normal difficulty, like you can get hit a couple of times before you die, so if one of them hits you, as long as you're not running into a corner or a wall like I did at least once, then you can you can pretty easily get out of their way and and they'll just kind of go back to ignoring you. So uh, I didn't run into many problems with the mechanics, but it and I did actually actively like um, some of the things that they did, such as um, kind of taking out the inventory. Like I said, I'm a little mixed on the sanity system not being there. Uh, but overall, I thought it fit pretty well for the type of game that this is, so I'm not I'm not upset. And um, 
there are definitely some bits of the story that I think were pretty impactful. And I, I, I think overall I may have actually liked the story of Machine for Pigs more than I like the story of Dark Descent because it feels almost more real. And that's a very bizarre thing to say about a game where the protagonist has been making man-pig hybrids and finding orbs in a in a temple in Mexico. Um, but whereas the first game deals with multiple dimensions and, you know, extracting mythical substances from torture victims, this deals with a lot of very real fears about facing the future and what can you do when you already know it's not going to be good. And I thought that was intriguing. I thought that really had a lot to say, and it fit with what I've played of the Chinese Room's other content. So, yeah, I I would say that Machine for Pigs is worth a playthrough. It's not a super long game, although don't believe everything that you read on how long to beat, but still, not not a super long game. And um, yeah, the collection is available pretty much everywhere, so I, I would I would recommend that if you are interested in this type of game. Uh, and if you've played the other games, then you know you don't have to have to play this, but uh, they are also there. I haven't played the latter two, and I'm I'm thinking about it. You know, <laughs> I, I sometimes I wait on that kind of thing because I'm like, well, but what if we? But what if this is on the schedule for next year? Maybe I'll play it what then. What if you just wait um, until October and then play all the horror games in one beautiful month? What if? Hard to say. Although it is, yeah, uh, it is still very early September as we're recording this. So it sure is. I've, I've got I've got some time, but I've also got a number of other shows this year. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but John, please, um, how how do you feel in total with a machine? Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be massively surprised after hearing everything I've said over the last couple of hours. But I really, really would wholeheartedly recommend this game to people. I mean, I, I've never really understood why there was a backlash against it. I mean, I'm assuming that the majority of the complaints are basically it's a different style game from the previous Amnesia game, which people were hoping for. But I think the the mix of Frictional and the Chinese Room, who, again, like, I don't think I'm being shy at all in saying that those two studios are probably two of my absolute favourites, and I will be excited for basically any game that either of them put out. But I think that the the mixture of their two kind of sort of key components of the way that they both create games coming together here... I mean, it's it's not the greatest kind of spooky horror game in the world, and it's also probably not the greatest, like, existential dread kind of psychological um, narrative adventure game either. But I think mixing the two together and kind of making an experience that is maybe a little bit more accessible for people than, you know, those who were actively put off by just how spooky The Dark Descent felt early on, like, I think it I think it works really, really well and I'm never ever gonna complain about having to listen to like the music that Jessica Curry has has composed or just the the like absolutely like bone chilling uh descriptions of uh, some of the 
the things that you can read in the notes here, some of the ways that these people have, uh, you know, committed atrocities and stuff. It's just like from, for me, that stuff works so much better than like something going bump in the night and jumping out at you. And, you know, to be honest, this game does have a bit of that, but it kind of more is more about the body horror and the psychological horror. And I think it's, although I played both of these games before I ended up playing a machine for pigs, I think it's, it's kind of, it's, telling that these two studios went on to create kind of soma and everybody's gone to the rapture that in some ways are kind of the the peak of both of these genres for me and the way that they work i mean the, the soma is possibly more kind of walking also towards an, a, a more narrative heady experience than the kind of the jump scares things go bump in the night but it also has plenty of that really kind of freaky stuff going on as well so i i mean like I say, I think both of these studios are kind of were at the top of their game around this time. And this is a really, really interesting mixture of their two styles. Uh, and as it has been mentioned, it's kind of very accessible on, on all consoles at the moment. I think it's currently still on Game Pass. Um, it's possibly on one of the PlayStation Plus subscriber tiers, but I can't validate that. I think I might have got it through some sort of PlayStation Plus deal or something at some point. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me that, John. I think it was at one point a PlayStation Plus. Yeah, it's, it's it's like right up in that alley. And even if it's not, like I think I bought it on the Xbox before it was on Game Pass for like some embarrassingly low amount of money, like just a few quid or something. I think its standard price is only about 17 or £18, pounds even for you know for, for no sort of deals or anything. So like it's, it's super easy to get hold of. And I think... Um, it's it's worth giving it a go if you've been at all intrigued by anything that we've said and if if it kind of puts you off and you're not into the the kind of the horror game stylings just listen to the soundtrack cuz that is also absolutely fantastic recommend so i think this is really kind of one of those games that i have played and for various reasons like had trouble not thinking about since i've played it so um, it, it also super gets me pumped to play the the other Amnesia games that have been released more recently that I haven't got around to yet. So again, October's coming up. You never know. Thank you. Uh, and Chris? Yeah, I really enjoy Machine for Pigs. I, so coming off Dark Descent, I was, as I've said, fair to middling on that game. I don't know what I wanted Dark Descent to be, but it wasn't what it is. I was looking for, as I said, I really like survival horror games. I like action-orientated survival horror games. But I I feel like I wanted more adventure game trappings with Dark Descent. I really enjoyed the puzzle solving. I really enjoyed the exploration. I didn't like the mechanics around sanity and light in the environment. So having finished... Dark Descent, and knowing what the Chinese room are famous for, I was quietly excited going into Machine for Pigs, and certainly the first half of the game, no, none of the game disappointed, but the the first impressions it made on me was, this is what I wanted Dark Descent to be, this is more narrative-based, it's lost the mechanics that I didn't get on with, it's got some like puzzle elements... It's going to be that typical narrative game style length, which is perfect for a game like this. 
I my first impressions were really really strong, and I think I jumped on the Slack and said, "Oh, I've just started, and this is great," and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And it continued for me to be very good. I think where I where my view started to just go off a little bit was was once you got over, once you got through that that opening area and got down into the into the machine. I thought the environments were a bit samey there, and and I lost the I lost the threads of the plot. Which which didn't really come together until I then watched the YouTube video, which explained it all for me. But it's it's a really solid narrative game with a very interesting premise of a story, some absolutely stellar sound work, and generally a snappy, breezy time. It's not a game that will challenge you mechanically. It's a game that you can get through in two or three sittings. If you're a fan of horror games, if you're a fan of narrative-driven games, it's definitely one that I could re- I would recommend to to anybody who's into those things. And the fact that it is so available with Game Pass, or as John said, you know, for what you get with Dark Descent, Machine for Pigs, and the you know the guy then Justine, it's well worth picking up for for the prices it goes for. And and just like you guys, I'm 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 excited to see what happens next, even though. This is not a frictional developed game. I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm looking forward to playing Soma because John speaks so highly about it. But I'm also looking forward then to seeing how frictional developed their own style in the Amnesia universe with with Rebirth and and the Bunker. So I'm definitely on the train with frictional, and and, and this I think was my favourite entry in the Amnesia series of the two, uh, of the three, including Justine. The, the Machine for Pigs is 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 by far my favourite. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, that just remains for me, Leah, to thank John, Chris, and Sean, Editor Jay, and, of course, all of you for listening. And to tell you that next time in issue 586, it's back to the original Xbox, and we're flying high with Crimson Skies High Road to Revenge. <laughs>